Hey everybody, welcome to an episode of Digging Deeper, a podcast of the Glendale Road Church of Christ. I'm Stephen Hunter, the minister of the Glendale Road Church of Christ, and I welcome you. I hope that if you enjoy these podcasts that you will rate them, that you will like them, subscribe, or even share them. You may have a friend or family or someone you know who may be interested in the topic of the day. So with this episode, I want to address and try to answer the question that most of us have always been asked about the Churches of Christ, and that is, why don't you guys use music? A week or so ago, I was speaking with an acquaintance, and I had invited them to church. And they replied, they said, well, you guys don't use music, do you? And I said, well, we sing, but no, we don't use uh, mechanical instruments. And they asked, they said, why, why don't y'all? I said, well, actually, uh, using mechanical instruments in worship only became common about 200 years ago, uh, with the exception of the Catholic Church that has used it for centuries. The Eastern Orthodox Church doesn't use mechanical instruments at all, and their justification by that, which is the same as ours in Churches of Christ, is that they're simply not in Scripture or in early church history. So we sing what is called a cappella. And since the 20th century, a cappella has been defined as unaccompanied vocal music. But the etymology of the term derives from Latin, and it means in the manner of the chapel or according to the chapel. That was used in reference to the older church music before 1600. It was written for unaccompanied voices. So if the term we use for singing without instruments means according to the chapel, then the word itself defines the style of music that was used by the church. So, <clears throat> as I clear my throat in your ear, there are various objections, right? And, and I have heard uh, many of them. For example, someone might say, the Bible doesn't say to not use instruments. And I would reply by saying, well, the Bible doesn't say to not pray to Mary or the saints the Bible doesn't say to not sprinkle rather than immerse in baptism. The Bible doesn't say not to partake of roasted lamb at the Lord's Supper instead of unleavened bread. But the same principle applies in regulating what we do not do on these and many other practices. Whatever God specifies, at least as I see it, omits any alterations that we may give. Now, had Noah used oak wood instead of gopher wood, he would not have kept God's command to use gopher wood. When David had the Ark of the Covenant transported to Jerusalem and it stumbled, stumbled on the ox cart, Utzah touched it while trying to save it from falling, but he was not allowed to touch it. And because he did touch it, he was struck dead. God didn't say to not use the ox cart, but he did specify that the Levites were to carry the Ark whenever it was transported. Because they didn't do what God wanted them to do, it came as a per, at a personal cost to Utzah. So, when someone says the Bible doesn't say not to use instruments, well, we would have to apply that to a lot of other things in order to be logically consistent. Now, another, another objection is, well, instruments are mentioned in the Psalms. And this is true. A Psalm is a praise or a song of praise. In other words, their lyrics are not necessarily instructive in most cases. I often refer to the Psalms as the early prayer book and the early music book of Israel. 
and the early church as well. Another objection that's common, instruments were used in the Old Testament. And that's true. But if you do what one thing of the Old Testament does, then we would have to reinstitute all of the mosaic all of the mosaic customs. However, if we did that, Paul says in Galatians 5:4, we will have fallen from grace. Another objection is, well, a songbook, a pitch pipe, and the song leader are not mentioned in the scriptures, which are things that we have. Of course, we use PowerPoint projectors. Uh, our song leader uses a tuning fork. And song leader, I mean, not mentioned in scripture, correct? Exactly. So here's how I answer that. When God told Noah to build the ark, he specified the construction of the ark, but he didn't tell Noah what tools to use. Noah could have used a saw, hammer, and various other tools to build the ark because it wasn't specified. And whatever tool he used would not have contradicted the commands pertaining to the ark. Here's another example. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples. But he doesn't tell us how to go. We can go by television, radio, plane, boat, car, the how doesn't contradict the command. It helps us to fulfill it and is regarded as an expedient. Now, are expedients necessary? Well, not always. But when it comes to fulfilling a command, unless God has told us how, we can use good sense to do so. So those are some of the most common objections that I've ever been asked. So I don't want to just look at it from a negative perspective. I also want to look from a positive perspective. And these points I'm taking from a book called The Church of Christ, A Biblical Ecclesiology for Today by Everett Ferguson. He writes, giving eight particular points, positive points that make a positive argument for singing without instrumental accompaniment. First of all, song is a way of preaching since early hymns have Christ as their content. You may or may not know this, but if you look at Philippians 2 verses 6 through 11, and 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, a lot of scholars and historians believe that those were early Christian hymns. We also see in Hebrews 13, 15, that song is a confession of faith. As a matter of fact, the word translated praise can also be translated as acknowledge or confess. And so singing is how we acknowledge God. And this should be done with thankfulness. All right. Number three, song expresses the indwelling spirit and the words of Christ. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, do not be filled with wine, but be filled with the spirit, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and so forth. So Colossians three sixteen parallels singing with teaching and admonishing and expresses the indwelling word of Christ. Singing is the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit and of possessing the word of Christ. Four, Song is spiritual sacrifice. Thanksgiving and song was an accompanying sacrifice. Uh, it was an equivalent of sacrifice in Psalm 141, verse 2. It was also a substitute for sacrifice, according to Psalm 50, verses 14 and 23. The New Testament connects singing with the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, and speaks of spiritual songs in both Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians 3, 16. So singing is a spiritual activity. Number five, song is for mutual edification. 
Our singing is not only directed towards God, but also towards one another. Notice Ephesians 5.19, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and so forth. And Colossians 3.16, teaching occurs through song. Think about the little children's song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, or Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Those words are instructive. And you have to think, back in the first, second, and third centuries, maybe even longer, a lot of people were illiterate. So, because of their illiteracy, they relied on, maybe more than anything, song. And being able to do that would help them to remember uh, core tenets of the faith. Romans 16.16, song shows the unity of the church. Number seven, song involves the whole person. In 1 Corinthians 14.15, it entails the spirit and the mind. In Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, words are expressed with the heart. And in Hebrews 13.15, you have the lips. James 5.13, song expresses deep religious emotion. So when you look at all these positive arguments for singing, one of the things that you'll ultimately come up with is there is good evidence for singing. Now, I know someone may be prone to say, I just can't worship without music or whatnot. And so my question is, well, okay, who are you worshiping then? If it's about my preferences and what I want, Am I worshiping God? Well, you should worship God with your whole heart. And if that means this, that, you know, I get that argument too. But I think it's God who tells us how to worship. And it's not depending on how I feel. I think a lot of people are looking for an emotional experience. And I get that because we all have this God-shaped hole in our heart and we're trying to fill it. But God is enough to fill it. We don't have to seek anything beyond that. Let me read to you a few quotes from historical figures that may be a little surprising to you. Martin Luther, who the Lutheran church is named after, he said the instrument in worship is an ensign of Baal. That's that idol in the Old Testament. That's his way of saying, no, sir, not going to have it. John Calvin, in his commentary on Psalm 33, verse 2, he says, musical instruments in celebrating the praises of God would be no more suitable than the burning of incense, the lighting of lamps, and the restoration of other shadows of law. The papists, therefore, have foolishly borrowed this, as well as many other things, from the Jews. Men who are fond of outward pomp may delight in that noise, but the simplicity which God recommends to us by the apostle is far more pleasing to him. Now, John Calvin, as you know, is associated with uh, Presbyterian church and, and some other reform traditions. Adam Clark, who was Methodist in his commentary on Amos 6.5, he says, I'm an old man and an old minister, and I here declare that I never knew them instruments productive of any good in the worship of God and have reason to believe that they were productive of much evil. Music I, as a science I esteem and admire, but instruments of music in the house of God I abominate and abhor. In that very same line, he quotes John Wesley, who is credited as one of the founders of Methodism. 
Wesley, he says, said, I have no objections to instruments of music in our chapels, provided they are neither seen nor heard. Then, Charles Spurgeon, who was a prominent Baptist preacher in London, in his commentary on Psalm 42, he said, I would just as soon pray with machinery as to sing with machinery. David Benedict wrote a book in the 19th century called 50 Years Among the Baptists. And here's what he wrote in that book. Remember, this is the 19th century. We're talking the 1800s. Staunch old Baptists in former times would have soon as tolerated the Pope of Rome in their pulpits as an organ in their galleries. And yet the instrument has gradually found its way among them and their successors in church management, with nothing like the jars and difficulties which arose of old concerning the bass, vial, and smaller instrument of music. Now think about that. David Benedict, Charles Spurgeon, Baptist. John Wesley, Adam Clark, Methodist. John Calvin, Presbyterian and Reformed. Martin Luther, Lutheran. James W. McKinnon, who was Catholic, wrote his dissertation, The Church Fathers and Musical Instruments. And here's what he says in his dissertation. More important than explicit opposition to instruments is the simple fact that they are not used in the patristic period, which is A.D. 100 to 450. So you have a lot of voices represented there that oppose musical instruments. So when I'm asked that question, I always say, well, as I said at the beginning, the commonality of musical instruments in worship is only about 200 years old. Now, in the 4th century, Ambrose of Milan introduced musical instruments, but he was met with opposition, from what I have read. The organ was introduced in the West in the mid-8th century, but instruments were widely used by the 10th century in the Catholic Church. So a lot of these quotes from Martin Luther, John Calvin, Adam Clark, John Wesley, Spurgeon, and the like, a lot of the reason for their opposition of musical instruments may have had more to do with their opposition of Catholicism than anything but they were against them. But just because they're against them doesn't mean anyone else should be. But I think it just goes to show how things evolve over time. And so in Churches of Christ, we just strive to be as much like that first century church as we can. Now, we can't perfectly do that because we don't have apostles uh, and prophets among us in the same sense that they had, as well as some other things. But as much as they did, so we seek to do. As much as they didn't do, uh, we try to maintain that simplicity as well. And so that's why, rather than saying we don't use instruments, I prefer to ask the question, why do you use instruments in the worship of God? Because the way that we do it prevailed for centuries and centuries and centuries of church history, while instruments only about a couple hundred years old when you think about it. Anyway, I hope you've learned something. If you have any questions, feel free to contact us. If you have a particular uh, area that you would like studied, feel free to reach out. I hope you're doing well. God bless you.